Hello everyone and welcome to this edition of After the Final Whistle. I am your host Brad Clear. It is Friday, September 6th. In this episode, I want to take a look at the Miami Dolphins recently with the Laramie Tunsil trade, with the NFL season having started last night, with games um, kicking off on Sunday in two days from now. Really wanted to get into the Dolphins, look at this Laramie Tunsil trade, look at their situation as a whole. Um, again, I'm your host, Brad Clear. You can follow me on Twitter at BradClear underscore. Clear is spelled K-L-I-E-R. And you can check out my podcasts here on podcast.com or on Apple Podcasts by searching After the Final Whistle with Bradley Clear. All right, so let's get into this with the Miami Dolphins. So the process is here. The second process that has come to the NFL is upon us. It already was, but now is even more so and is magnified because of this recent Laramie Tunsil trade with roster cutdowns and how they've positioned their roster for this coming season. And I cannot support this plan and this strategy any more than I currently do because I support this plan to such an incredible extent and believe in what Miami Dolphins are doing to such a massive extent. And I think that was magnified even more by this recent Laramie Tunsil trade and how they positioned their roster coming into this season. So let's specifically look at the Laramie Tunsil trade, right? Because that's the real um, hot-button discussion here when it comes to the Dolphins and their process right now. So the trade again, as it went down last week, Miami trading Laramie Tunsil, Kenny Stills, 2024th and 2021 sixth over to Houston for Houston's 2021st, 2021 first, um, 2021 second, as well as special teamer Johnson, Batamosi, and other pieces. Really what matters here is the incredible draft pick haul that they got back here. We look Kenny Stills, right? Kenny Stills, a mainstay in this Miami Dolphins team um, in recent years. The reality of the situation is this. Kenny Stills, had he not been included in this trade, was getting traded for a fifth or a sixth round pick, or he was getting cut. Kenny Stills was not going to be on the Miami Dolphins this season. And now we look at it with Laramie Tunsil. So, a lot of the negative reaction that has resulted towards this trade has centered around the fact that the Dolphins traded what is thought to be an elite franchise left tackle, a can't-miss left tackle, a star left tackle, and they traded him for you know first-round picks that aren't that high or whatever. Let, let's, let's get to the reality of this situation here, right? Laramie Tunsil is a very good player. Laramie Tunsil is not an elite left tackle. Laramie Tunsil, again, is a very good left tackle. 25 years old. He's about to get paid. He was ranked 36th in PFF grades last year amongst all offensive tackles. 
he is probably around the 10th best offensive tackle, left tackle in the NFL. So this idea that Laramie Tunsil is this can't-miss elite offensive tackle, to me, I don't think that's reality. Now, I acknowledge the fact that trading Tunsil, even though Tunsil is not an elite offensive tackle, he's a guy who you can plug in as an above-average starter on your offensive line for 10 years. And trading him does create a hole at a significantly valuable premium position on an already weak offensive line. I acknowledge that. But they got more for Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills than the Giants got for Odell Beckham and the Raiders got for Khalil Mack. Both of those two players are elite players who are in the top 15 of the best players in the NFL. Laramie Tunsil has never even made a Pro Bowl yet. Laramie Tunsil is not near the quality of player that Khalil Mack is or the quality of player that Odell Beckham is. So to get more for him than those teams got for those two players, this is a no-brainer. And you put in the fact that this is a team who had previously positioned themselves to undertake this process and to go all in on the draft. So you look at it this way. You have a desperate team in the Houston Texans. You have a team going all in on the process and on the draft in the Miami Dolphins. You have a 25-year-old, very good, albeit not elite player, at a position of value to Houston. And you cash in that value and you get a significant haul. Two first-round picks and a second-round pick. That is an incredibly valuable return for a player like Laramie Tunsil. Again, going back to the pro football focus grade, 36th amongst all offensive tackles in his pro football focus grade for last year. Would I like to have Laramie Tunsil as my left tackle for the next 10 years? Sure, why not? Would I make this trade if I was the Dolphins? A hundred times out of a hundred. And if you look at these picks that they got back from Houston, Houston in this past draft picked 23rd and came out of it with Titus Howard. So if we look at Houston, you know, the AFC South is theirs, right? So they're probably picking in this 2020 draft and 2021 draft, they're probably picking in a spot in the low 20s similar to where they picked in this year's past draft. So if you take what ends up being pick 22 and 23 or 21 and 22 or 21 and 23 or 22 and 22 in the next two years plus their second round pick in 2021 for Laramie Tunsil, you take that trade, you don't even think twice about it. And furthermore... You know, if you're the Miami Dolphins here, and if you have any qualms or reservations about paying Laramie Tunsil, which, based off of this trade developing and happening, 
and the rumors that were surrounding um, the time period in which this trade occurred, they seemed to have had some sort of qualm or reservation about paying him long-term as opposed to getting a good return of draft capital for him. So again, if you have any qualms about paying Laramie Tunsil, you trade him. And they did, and they leveraged Houston's incredible need for immediate offensive tackle protection for Deshaun Watson to the greatest extent that they could. You know, I go back, I just mentioned Titus Howard as a 23rd pick in this draft. Now, Titus Howard was a guy who was a riser in the draft process. He's a guy, though, who had, who is known to be a project. While the Houston Texans had a need to add immediate protection to their offensive line in front of Deshaun Watson. So, at the time, and now, I had questioned as good of a pre-draft process as Titus Howard had, with him being a project, I had questioned them picking him over someone like a Jawan Taylor or a Cody Ford, guys you could put out there right away and can play on their offensive line. By picking Howard, they kept the need to add immediate offensive line help to protect Watson. They kept that need alive, and that's what got them to this point right on the precipice of the season starting to where they were desperate and went all in to get Laramie Tunsil and will have in a four-year period have only made one first-round pick with that first-round pick being the aforementioned Titus Howard. Now, again, as I mentioned earlier, I must acknowledge that there is merit to the side that questions whether creating that major hole for the Dolphins at left tackle was the right move. You know, there's merit. You, you know, you can question it to a small extent. But really, when you factor in all the reasons that I put in earlier, the guy is not an elite talent at the position. The team is positioned and carrying out a plan or strategy centered around high draft capital, quality of draft capital, and volume of draft capital. And you got such a monstrous haul even though there's merit to the opening the hole at the premium position thought, there's no question towards making this trade. A no-brainer. And what this trade does, you know, they had made smart moves before this, positioning themselves to carry out this process. Trading Ryan Tannehill, trading Robert Quinn, trading Jordan Lucas, um, making sure they were able to get comp picks for Jawan James and Cameron Wake, trading down from pick 48 with New Orleans, taking a shot, trading for Josh Rosen. They had already carried out these components of, you know, seemingly similar to a Browns-esque process. But this trade here, with two first-round picks added, with a second-round pick added, this is the trade that really serves as the primary catalyst to being able to carry out this type of team-building strategy to the greatest effectiveness that you can. So, to me, picks you know, 22 and 22 in consecutive years and the second 2021, that outweighs Tunsil being there to ensure that there's no hole at the left tackle position. 
Such a phenomenal trade here by the Miami Dolphins. And if we look at the Dolphins' situation as far as draft capital is concerned, let's look at it in 2020. Two firsts, their own, and Houston's. Second, their own, and New Orleans. Again, from the aforementioned trade down from 48, where they ended up getting down um, to the bottom of the second round in the past draft, picked up New Orleans' second round pick in 2020, used that aforementioned acquired late second round pick in this past draft with their fifth round pick in 2020 to go and get Josh Rosen. Um, in the third round, their own pick, as well as a comp pick for Juwan James signing with Denver. Um, they traded their two, a 2020 fourth round pick in this trade with Houston. Now, I am not sure which is the one that they traded, but regardless, whether it is their own or Tennessee's, they will still have a fourth round pick in this draft. Again, as I mentioned, from trading Ryan Tannehill to Tennessee for their fourth round pick. Fifth round, I just mentioned they traded their own in the Josh Rosen trade, uh, but they will be getting a fifth round comp pick in for Cameron Wake. They have their own sixth. They have Dallas's sixth from trading Robert Quinn. They traded a seventh round pick to Minnesota in the past few days for offensive guard Danny Isadora, but they had acquired a seventh round pick from Kansas City for Jordan Lucas. So they have one seventh round pick in there, whether it's their own or Kansas City's. So we look at this all together. Two firsts, two seconds, two thirds, a fourth, a fifth, two sixths, and a seventh. 11 picks, two in each of the first three rounds and the sixth. And you can easily trade down and add more draft ammunition or capital in this draft or for next year's draft. And you already have an extra second in 2021. Couple that with having over $100 million, most likely, in cap space this offseason. And with the roster they have right now, are positioned as well as anyone in the league to get the first overall pick in the draft and to get their franchise quarterback in Tua. So you take all of that together, being the best position team in the league for the first overall pick, over $100 million in cap space, 11 draft picks, potentially getting the franchise QB with that first overall pick. And what Chris Greer has done here as the GM of this team is he's given himself such a large variety of options and pieces that he can use to build out this Miami team and mold this team long term, however he and Brian Flores want to do so. You know, we look at this team. There are significant holes across the board for this team. An entire offensive line, more or less. There are some nice pieces they have at wide receiver, but there is a need for top-tier wide receiver talent on this team, and there is a lot of wide receiver talent in this draft. Edge rusher, they need to add presences and significant talent off the edge. They could use another linebacker. They could use another corner. And you know they could probably use, depending on if there's a good one available in the second or third round, they could use a running back as well. So there's a lot of holes across the board for this team. And going back to the over $100 million in cap space, they could pull a play 
out of the Sashi Brown playbook um, and out of the NBA playbook where they use this significant amount of cap space, which they're not going to spend a large amount on a large amount of on free agents and can use that space to take on another team's bad contract. You know, in the NFL, we saw this with Houston um, or with Cleveland taking on Brock Osweiler from Houston and getting a second round pick with it, which then became Nick Chubb. We see it all the time in the NBA. The Dolphins now, with so much cap space, have the ability, should that type of trade be a possibility, they have the ability now to go out and take on a bad contract and get themselves a draft pick, all for the cost of using up cap space that they wouldn't be using anyway. It just gives you another option and outlet to add what can be a future player or piece to trade for a player for this team for the long term. The next implication for this team I wanted to get into is Josh Rosen. Now, if you've listened to this podcast, if you've uh, followed me on Twitter, you know that I am someone who is a supporter of Josh Rosen. But through Miami's um, maneuverings, through their actions, through the roster that's currently set up, I think at this point, it's kind of clear that they already don't see Rosen as a uh, long-term answer for them at quarterback, and they will not unless he gets in there and absolutely wows to an incredible extent when he inevitably gets time at quarterback for them this season. Now, despite that, I know the initial reaction might be, oh, why did they blow a second and a fifth on this guy if they're already before the season starting, he's not starting, they're positioning themselves to get a franchise quarterback next year, the year after. There is still value in having Josh Rosen as a super cheap, young, talented backup to whoever they draft. Like, let's say they get the 1-1 and they get Tua in. There is significant value in having Josh Rosen as this super cheap, young, talented quarterback um, behind him. Because, as we know, over the next three years, Miami is only paying Josh Rosen $6 million total. That cap hit from Josh Rosen is lower than what you're normally going to be paying your backup quarterback. So, even if it ends up that he's the backup for this team long term, that's a better backup one than every single other team in the league, and it's a super duper cheap quarterback as well. And then if you look at it further, if there's a team this year in the NFL where a team's quarterback gets injured or some freak occurrence happens where a team, uh, a contending playoff team has a need at quarterback, you would have to think that Josh Rosen could be had for a third or a fourth round pick from this Miami team. So... Whether he's the long-term backup for this team, whether they can get more draft capital in for him, the point is is that with Fitz beating him out to be the starting quarterback, with the team angling for the first overall pick, and more so having a weak offensive line and really, really, really setting up their quarterback to be pressured every single play, the Dolphins are not setting themselves up to maximize Josh Rosen's development if slash when he plays this year, 
Rather, what they're doing is they're maximizing their ability to get the first overall pick in this draft and to have as much um, volume of draft picks and cap space and outlets to add talent to this team for the long term. If they truly believed in Josh Rosen as a potential long-term answer, what they would have done through this um, roster construction is set them up to fail. And based off of the roster they have in front of them now, especially on that offensive line, you know it's clear that they're not attempting to maximize the development of Josh Rosen if he plays this season. Their actions indicate that my earlier point of that Josh Rosen is not someone they look at as the long-term answer for them at quarterback. And that's fine, because with how valuable the quarterback position is, you take as many swings and as many chances as you can on the quarterback position because it is so, so valuable. And you must get the right quarterback or everything else you do is for naught. You don't pick the quarterback who just happens to be the best available quarterback at your draft pick. You don't pick a quarterback in a year with a weak quarterback class just because you have a quarterback need. You take as many chances as you can until you find a true potential to be elite franchise level quarterback. Now maybe they're not giving Josh Rosen the chance to show that based off of their roster construction and inevitably drafting a franchise quarterback, but even still, taking picks, uh, pick in the 60s, early 60s, and a fifth round pick, and taking a chance on a quarterback like Josh Rosen, or just getting him in there as their super cheap backup with the potential to trade him again, as I mentioned, that's fine because quarterback is so incredibly valuable. You take as many chances as you can to find the right guy for the long term. So, switching gears now, let's actually take a look at this Dolphins roster. You know, because we can talk about the draft picks they have and the cap space they have and the optionality they have. Those are the things that are critically important. But it's also nice to look at their roster and see, you know, what long-term pieces already are in place. And so the first one you look at as a definite, Xavier Howard. A true number one corner. They paid him as such this offseason. The... Uh, future of this Dolphins defense, a true top number one corner, already solidified and extended for the long term. That is the number one keeper on this team as is right now. Then you have Minka Fitzpatrick. First round pick in 2018, hybrid player in the secondary, best off as a slot corner, can play safety as well. That's where they play him at a lot. That's an incredibly valuable player. He's a long-term keeper for this team. And then we look at Christian Wilkins, who they picked in the first round this past year. He's a stud defensive lineman who has the ability to be a force in um, rushing the passer, in stopping the run. He has both of those capabilities. He's a guy who can line up on the interior of your offensive of your defensive line. He's a guy who can line up on the end of your of your defensive line. Keep wanting to say offensive line there. He's a guy, again, versatile across the defensive line, versatile in that he can be effective in the pass rush and stopping the run. This guy's a stud, and he is a long-term keeper for this team as well. 
And then the last guy I look at, as far as the players already in place on this team, who are definite long-term pieces for the Dolphins, is Jerome Baker. They made him a team captain today. Baker, as a linebacker, he's a guy who, he's really versatile, he's really athletic, he's very fast, very physically gifted and athletic. He can be a guy who can be a factor in the pass rush for them, who is the guy who is the defensive signal caller, is the presence in the middle of the field. Defensively, he's a dependable presence already so quickly into his NFL career. As I mentioned, made a team captain today for the upcoming season. So even with the inevitable influx of talent through the draft, through trades, through free agency, this is a guy who I think is a keeper for this Dolphins team long-term. So right there, Howard, Fitzpatrick, Wilkins, and Baker, four guys I look at, all on defensive side of the ball, but all guys I look at as definite long-term keepers for this Dolphins team. Now, I think there are players on this team who have the chance to be long-term pieces for this Dolphins team, albeit in lesser roles. Uh, The first one is Jakeem Grant. They just signed him this offseason to a four-year extension. Uh, He's their kick and punt returner as a number three wide receiver. Again, mentioned that special teams returner aspect and the fact that he signed a four-year extension. I think in that special teams number three or four wide receiver role, he's a long-term piece potentially for this Dolphins team. Preston Williams. Now, Preston Williams, this may be a little bit early to consider him in this category at wide receiver and undrafted free agent. There is so much buzz around Preston Williams, and he seems to have so much talent for an undrafted wide receiver. Again, this could be premature, and you would like to see him in the season produce more before you consider him as a potential long-term piece. But I think there's a lot to like with Preston Williams, and he is going to impress this season. Then you look at Mike Gisecki at the tight end spot. I think you really have to see how he performs this year. Uh, So far, I think he's been a little bit underwhelming. I liked him in the pre-draft process. So I think it largely depends on how he does this season, how he performs this year. But I'm not ruling him out as definitely not being a long-term piece, I think the chance for him to be a long-term piece for this Dolphins team is still there. Just has to see if he can put all together and perform at a high level this season. Um, Look on the defensive side of the ball. We look in the secondary. Bobby McCain, he signed a four-year extension in 2018. He's a starting piece in the secondary. Uh, He was elected a captain today. Now, if he's a long-term piece for this team, it's as a depth piece for them. In their secondary, I, I I think he's got a chance to be a long-term piece for this team. Again, as a depth guy um, who can play some corner, who can play safety as well, who's versatile, can play multiple positions for them in the secondary. I think there's a chance for him to be a long-term piece in that role. Raekwon McMillan, a linebacker who really had a solid season last year. He's really good against the run. Him and Baker is a nice duo in the middle of the field. We'll see if McMillan can play this year at the level that he did last year. And if he does, I think there's a chance that both he and Baker at that linebacker spot are both long-term pieces for this Dolphins team. And then the last player I look at, another defensive player that I look at 
as being a potential long-term piece for this Dolphins team is Devon Godchow. Uh, he's in there in the interior of their defensive line at that nose tackle spot. He started every single game for the Dolphins last year. He's a steady presence for them in the middle of that defensive line, as I mentioned. He's in that role again this year. If he plays at the level that he did last year, again, similar to as I mentioned with McMillan, there's a chance that this is a dependable, nice depth or starting piece for this Dolphins team long term. So again, this group of McCain, McMillan, Godchow, Jacecki, Williams, and Grant, if they are long-term keepers, more likely would be as depth pieces, not as starting pieces long-term, whereas Baker, Wilkins, Fitzpatrick, and Howard are four guys I look at as long-term potential starters, if not definite top-tier starters in the case of Xavier Howard and Christian Wilkins and Minka Fitzpatrick for this team for the long-term. So you have four definite long-term pieces and then six potential long-term pieces as well already in place for this Dolphins team. And if you want to expand it to seven, I think you could make an argument for Albert Wilson as a slot-wide receiver as well. So the next thing I want to get into with this Dolphins team is a lot has been made about their gutting of the roster and all the cuts they've made. For all the people and the takes that have been so up in arms about the Dolphins' cuts and all the quote-unquote talent that they've um, released, look at all the players that the Dolphins have cut in the last couple days, week or so, two weeks. Look at all the players they've cut. Find a list. And look how many of those players have been signed by another team. That should tell you right there whether the take that they've dropped or released so much talent is truly valid. The only player that they cut that I think that they should have kept was uh, defensive tackle Vincent Taylor. Even he wasn't signed to a 53-man NFL roster. He was signed to the Bills practice squad. I think they should have kept him. I was surprised that they cut him. But the point here is that for all this talent that they supposedly cut or released, very, very few have been signed to a 53-man NFL roster or to a practice squad. So the outcry over overdoing it with their roster cuts or takes of that nature, I think are a little bit exaggerated. So we look at this overall. Let's just bring this all together and take it home for the last bit here of the podcast here on After the Final Whistle with Brad Clear. Nobody is ever going to be able to master the art or the science of drafting, right? It's just not possible. There's an element of it being a crapshoot and randomness that no person is able or is going to ever be able to fully master. It's just not possible. So what you do is you give yourself as much high-quality volume and overall volume in your draft capital so that inevitably you can hit enough because you're going to miss from time to time. That's just a fact. Nobody hits on every single draft pick. But if you give yourself so much quality and quantity of draft picks, you can hit enough that you acquire the top-end talent or the depth talent 
that takes your team forward or is used in a trade to acquire a player that does so. The Cleveland Browns are not where they are today had they not undergone the process with Sashi Brown over the last couple years. The Philadelphia 76ers are nowhere near the quality of team they are right now had they not undergone the process under Sam Hinkie. And quite frankly, are even with missing on a significant quantity of high draft picks and major assets and quantity of assets, missing on a significant amount of them or cashing them in to such a great extent, the Sixers should probably be better than they are had they managed the assets that they had at their disposal better than they have done. Even still, they are the third or fourth best team in the NBA right now. And that's with missing on a ton of draft picks, on a ton of major assets, and not handling their assets to the greatest ability that they could. They gave themselves, or Sam Hinkie, set themselves up, or set the organization up, with so many assets and so many avenues to add talent, that even though they missed significantly more than they hit, they hit enough that it made them one of the best teams in the entire NBA and a potential championship contender. The Houston Astros won the World Series and are perpetual World Series contenders year in and year out because they undertook the process, more or less, under Jeff Lunau um, six, seven years ago, eight years ago. Lost over 100 games multiple years in a row. What you do here and what the Dolphins are doing now is you position yourself for long-term sustainable success to the greatest ability that you can. And of course it's not guaranteed, but if you create as much likelihood and probability of succeeding with assets in the draft, with flexibility in cap space, with players and trades, you position yourself with the greatest chance and the greatest likelihood of being able to achieve long-term sustainable success at a championship contending level. That's what the Dolphins are doing right now. And I'm incredibly excited to see how this process develops and furthers under Chris Greer and Brian Flores. And hopefully in 2022 or 2023, the Miami Dolphins can be true top-tier contenders similar to the Cleveland Browns who began this process under Sashi Brown in 2016, similar to how the Cleveland Browns are coming into this season. Overall, I think the Dolphins have set themselves up fantastically. This Laramie Tunsil trade was a home run. The quantity of draft picks, the quality of draft picks, the cap space to add players or to use the cap space to add assets, all of the needed avenues to add talent are there. I'm so incredibly behind this plan and I'm really looking forward to how it develops over the coming years. I think the Dolphins, an organization that has been stuck in mediocrity and frankly going nowhere for such a long period of time now, it's nice to see them take this strategy as their own and to really position themselves to have the opportunity to achieve long-term, sustainable, top-tier success in the NFL in three or four or five years from now. And with that, 
That is the end of this episode of After the Final Whistle. Again, I am your host, Brad Clear. Follow me on Twitter at BradClear underscore. Clear is spelled K-L-I-E-R. You can check out episodes of After the Final Whistle on podcast.com or on Apple Podcasts by searching After the Final Whistle with Bradley Clear. Clear is spelled K-L-I-E-R. Shout out to The Process. Shout out to Sam Hinkie and Sashi Brown. Shout out to the Miami Dolphins. Shout out to that great Laramie Tunsil trade. And shout out to you, the listener. Again, I think the Dolphins made a great trade with Laramie Tunsil, have set themselves up for long-term success, and the process works. Regardless of sport, if you position yourself well, like the Dolphins are seemingly beginning to do right now. I'm Brad Clear. This is after the final whistle. And as always, goodbye and good night.